Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of the Yard. It's uh, it's after midnight. We've had uh, the ball game against Missouri. Was not a great ball game. The result was good, but we did not play well. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in the show. Got a lot to talk about. We're going to preview the weekend in the SEC, and there's a lot at stake for Mississippi State. We'll also have uh, some announcements later today about the uh, 20, 20 possible regional hosting sites. 16 of those 20 will host a regional. Mississippi State will be one of those 20. Mississippi State will be one of those 16. When they announce the top eight national seeds, Mississippi State will be one of those eight. So that'll all take care of itself. We just got to keep winning. Now, there's a couple of things that I want to talk about, too, before we get uh, too deep in the, uh, in the show here, because I don't want to glaze over this, because I'm, there's, I'm, I'm really unhappy about something. And I know many of you probably shared this same displeasure. Uh, listen, this whole thing with the NCAA women's golf thing is a joke. This is an absolute joke. And if you're unfamiliar with what I'm talking about, Mississippi State was in a regional down in Baton Rouge. They were playing at the university club. They had, and I've, got, I've done my research on this and talked to people who were there. They had delay, 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 cancellation. Delay, 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 cancellation. And so finally, earlier this week, the course is finally playable. And I'm, I, I'm not going to mention the guy's name or whatever, but uh, basically comes out there and tells them, tells everybody hey the course is playable but we don't think it's playable to championship standard so we're not going to do that we're not going to play so you guys that uh you know we're on the back side of this regional your season is over and the top six seeds will advance and so basically what it appears is that you know they didn't want to play a one-day tournament or whatever because god forbid mississippi state go in there and upset the apple cart i mean our ladies have played exceptionally well down the stretch and played for the sec tournament championship People forget that. And so we make a regional, we, we advance doing a good thing, and then here we are, and we don't get a chance to go out there and play. And there's a lot of ways you can handle this thing, okay? Now, there are a lot of people who are in charge of things that have no business being in charge, and this is one of those situations here. There are a lot of people in leadership positions that aren't leaders. Sometimes they rise to those positions through longevity or people feel some sense of moral obligation. Say, well, you know, it's let's let so-and-so do it. He's a nice guy. Well, most leaders are not nice people. We may have some qualities about us that are somewhat, you know, maybe endearing. But at the end of the day, people who are decision makers don't make decisions based on niceties. you got to make tough decisions. And I'm sure this was a difficult decision. It was a wrong decision. But I understand it was a difficult one. But what you do as a leader is you want to try to prevent chaos. That's probably job one. Well, I guess job one is, okay, we want to promote safety. We want to promote fair play. But we want to avoid chaos at all costs. And so if I was in charge of this and say, you know what, guys, hey, listen, we're going to go have a bad experience here today, so we're going to cancel the tournament. I would go and communicate with those coaches and say, hey, listen, gather up everybody. Hey, ladies, gentlemen, here is the decision that we have reached, and this is why, this is the reasoning behind it, and this is what we're going to do. And then that way the coaches could have gone and kind of communicated that to their players. But instead, we just walked down there, 
And I believe the video itself was like 42 seconds. And, and part of that is the clown walking away. We go out there and we say, hey, the course is playable, but it's not playable championship standards. So your seasons are over. Screw you, ladies. Go have a good weekend. Uh, that's not the way I'm paraphrasing. But that's basically the message it was sent. And so I'll be honest with you. Even if I didn't have daughters, I believe I would feel this way. But because I do have daughters, and I know how hard they work and, and the things that they're passionate about, if somebody had taken that away kind of arbitrarily, just of their own you know, volition, say, you know what, hey, we're going to make this decision. We're not going to consult you about it. We're not going to consult your coach. We're not going to talk to any of your people. You will have no representation at the table. But you're going to have to live with the decision. And if you don't like it, you just, you know, leave. You know, what I don't understand is, you know, there's a ton of courses in Louisiana. And I understand they had some heavy rains down there. And listen, we've all played golf. Most of us have. You know, wet course, not a lot of fun. But you know what? It's a level playing field. And you know what? Maybe if the supervisor of that course just says, you know what? Hey, I don't need all these people out here chopping up my course. I get it. You know what? Why don't we go find somewhere a little bit farther north? Let's make a little effort here to give these ladies who have worked so hard and accomplished so much the opportunity to compete. Do you think this would have happened to the men's tournament? Now, hang on a second. Think it through. Do you think that would have happened to the men? Let me just tell you what I know about college athletics. It absolutely would not have happened to the men. And that makes me angry. It should make you angry. And it's not just because Mississippi State is part of this. And, of course, that's why it's on our radar. But it's not just Mississippi State who was disadvantaged by this decision. There are a lot of other young ladies that have worked and sacrificed. And think about this. You know, they were denied the opportunity to compete last spring due to the COVID cancellations. And I think in hindsight, we all agree that was still all probably the right decision. And so – you don't get to compete last year, and now you have the rug pulled out from under you despite the fact that they say the course is playable. You know, it's just insane to me to think, well, if it's playable, but you know what? We don't want to run the risk of an upset happening in a one-day tournament. You know, maybe the quality of play is not going to be good. You know what? Here's the deal. You know, when we get ready to go play football – and the field is wet. Let's say there's been a torrential downpour and it stops thunder and lightning by game time. We go play the dadgum game, right? You know, we've got a great drainage system at Duty Noble Field. And so it can rain all day. And you give the, that talented group of, group of guys out there in our uh, turf management program, man, you give them an hour and uh, some diamond pro, they can work miracles out there at Duty Noble Field. But we go play the game. Now, granted, a football field and a baseball field is not as big as a golf course. There's a lot more to it. I understand that. But you can't tell me we can't make a decision. The NCAA could have just said, hey, you know, here's what we're going to do. Hey, guys, listen. We're going to extend the tournament a weekend. We couldn't get these things done, and we're going to do what's best for the student-athletes here. So we're going to go ahead and push everything back a week. They could have done that. I mean, there's, there's not like a federal law or something in place that says, hey, you got to have it done by this time. I mean, they, there's got to be some wiggle room. And people are saying, well, you know, next year we're going to have some alternate sites. You know, why didn't you have any this year? Especially when there was rain in the forecast. Maybe we get into this thing on Friday and say, hey, listen, 
man, there's a ton of rain already here. There's a bunch more coming. Let's look at some other alternatives. But that's what leaders do. You don't just sit around and watch it rain and hope for the best. You say, listen, we've got a championship we've got to do here. We've got to make sure these ladies get an opportunity to compete. And that wasn't done. And it makes me angry. It really does. And I hope it makes you angry, too. And, and, and maybe all we do is sit here and vent each other. But I just believe that our ladies and the other teams that were involved have been discounted. That's how I feel. And there's no way I think that anybody, based on the information that I have, because I've talked to some people with real knowledge of the situation, it's not just rumors and innuendo. You know, this was handled exceptionally poorly. I mean, it's just ridiculous that this happens. Especially when you know, you've got the gift of foresight. It's not like we don't have a weather radar out there. It's not like there aren't other you know, lo- locales around the South that would say, hey, listen, you know, we'll, we'll host a thing. But that would require a little bit of effort. I mean, again, it, and it's golf. I mean, it, what I mean by that is it's not like you have to pick up and take you know, a whole bunch of a gear with you. It's like, okay, ladies, this is what we're going to do. We're going to move the tournament to Birmingham. We're going to move the tournament to Mobile. Uh, get your clubs. We're going to go. It's as simple as that. And they can say, well, you know, Steve, we got to get rooms. Listen, that's, that's a couple phone calls, man. That's so easy to do. I'm not going to belabor the point too long, but I think it's absolutely ridiculous how these ladies were treated. I think NCAA has to do better. And when, when these things like, like this happen, because I'm not this big proponent of, hey, let's disband the NCAA and all that kind of stuff. And part of it's because I understand how it works. Like these people say, well, the NCAA does this. You know, the NCAA, many of the decisions that are made are voted on by the membership. I mean, the one-time transfer rule doesn't pass if the university presidents are not in agreement as a majority. But this is a decision that is made by a couple people. You know, this is not something that's necessarily, you know, uh, you know the merit of democracy here. You got people in leadership positions that just don't belong there. And as a result, student athletes have had to suffer because they're not capable of handling the responsibilities that have been you know, handed out to them. It's ridiculous. And again, I don't know what we can do. I saw some people out there trying to, uh, you know, to raise some money or provide some uh, resources for ladies to go play out in Arizona, not because they can advance. It wouldn't even be an NCAA event, but to give them a chance to have something to maybe end their college careers on a positive note rather than, than having some dolt walk down some steps. And then as soon as they begin to gripe and complain, he just kind of turns around and puts his back on them and walks away as if they mean absolutely nothing. It's ridiculous, man. It's absolutely ridiculous. But when these things begin to happen, this is when I begin to kind of think, you know what? There is about to be some fracture within the NCAA. There is. Because you've got some people here that, again, have no business being in charge, but also, too, are not putting the student-athletes first. And I understand things happen in life. There is injustice in life. There is disappointment in life. But a lot of this could have been prevented. I mean, you can't stop the rain, but you could have come up with a plan B. Anything more than just walking down the steps of some country club and looking these ladies in the eye and just dropping a bomb on them and then turn around and walking away like they mean absolutely nothing to you. I think that is indicative of how that individual and the people around him that support that decision, how they feel about our student-athletes. Bulldog Burger Company, listen, I spoke to John Bean today. 
and uh, which is always a thrill. John, John's such a great guy. John's a big listener to the show. Been a longtime sponsor of the show. He wanted me to share with you guys, too. Bulldog Burger Company in Starkville, Tupelo, and now Ridgeland are all hiring. Now, obviously, Starkville and Tupelo are up and running, doing great, okay? Ridgeland, they're staffing that store. So if you are looking for work or perhaps you're a college student, you're a young person, you've got somebody in your life that says, you know what, I'm ready to get back to work, or I need to get a job, this is a fun company. My nephew Dan worked a couple of years at Bulldog Burger Company. They loved him, and he loved them. He still talks glowingly about his experience at Bulldog Burger Company, and Ian Few was a the manager there. Now Ian's going to be managing the location at Ridgeland. It was great. And I, they hired him. I said, hey, listen, my nephew's looking for a job. They hired him. And, I, and maybe they did it as a favor to me. But it ended up me, be, do, me doing a favor to them because he ended up being a great employee. He loves it. I think he put on about 15 pounds, too. So, so I just say that because I know there are a lot of people out there that are thinking, hey, you know what, these unemployment benefits are going to run out pretty soon, or perhaps I'm done with school and, I'm, you know, I've, I've taken a trip or whatever I'm about to, but I want to get back and get to work. Give Bulldog Burger Company a chance to take care of you. Great company, run by some great people. I, I wouldn't do business with them if I didn't support them. If it wasn't a good product, if it wasn't a good business, if there wasn't good leadership. I said, listen, before we began this, this road, this partnership together, I sat down with John Bean, kind of felt him out a little bit. I mean, I knew some guys, some business partners that are involved with, uh, with the Eat With Us group. I sat down with John. I said, listen, you know, I'm real careful about who I associate with, and so I want to be make sure we're on the same page. And it's been great. It's been wonderful. And you guys love it too. Again, three locations to serve you soon. Two of them already open right here at Starville and Tupelo. And then, of course, on a Lake Harbor Drive there in Ridgeland. It's going to be great. I can't wait for you guys to get that place open, man. I mean, I, I think you people in central Mississippi, it's going to become one of those favorite things. And John told me, too, that you know, they're sitting there trying to get things up and going. you got customers coming by all the time thinking they're open, saying, hey, well, we're ready to get rolling here. It's going to be great. But surely you know somebody that needs a job that would enjoy being a part of the Bulldog Burger Company team. Go check it out. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. So Mississippi State won a baseball game on Thursday. Now, many of you are probably thinking, and I love the guys on Twitter that think they know what I'm going to say. So I know Steve's going to sit here and tell you everything's great. Wrong. Wrong. Call an ambulance. But not for me for you so here's the first thing that i'll say i don't think that we were ready to play and maybe some of it's because of the whole unique situation of scott fox all of course scott was ejected from the ball game on sunday so he had to had to sit out tonight's ball game he'll be back on friday and so then crystal monis has got to make the mound visits and then you know that usually scott fox all calls every pitch they let Logan Tanner call the pitches, and uh, Lamona said the only thing is we probably didn't do enough picks. Started calling those from the dugout, but LT did a good job. But it's a different deal. Anytime that you remove, you know, one gear from the machine, the other ones have to work a little bit harder, and sometimes it kind of runs afoul. And so I don't know if that was a factor, but listen, or maybe it was a 7.30 start. I, I, I can't tell you. But we weren't ready to play. And I don't say that as an indictment necessarily on a player or a coach. I'll just say, you know, it's, it's kind of a collective complaint with so much to play for. 
I expected us to come out a whole lot hungry. And, you know, maybe it's because we're playing Missouri. And my hope is it's got our attention. But, you know, maybe we go out there and think, ah, you know, these guys won 12 ball games. They're the worst team in the SEC. And that now with the loss tonight, they have been officially eliminated from the field at Hoover. So there's no postseason for them. I mean, listen, let's be honest. It was pretty, pretty far-fetched, but uh, there was always the mathematical possibility. Now that has been removed. So let's run through this game because I was disappointed. I'll be honest with you. I was disappointed with the effort. Now, Mike Nemeth and I spoke uh, Thursday morning. And it's like, you know, guys, Mike, I'm sitting here looking at these numbers. You know, how are these guys so competitive on these Friday ball games? I mean, they, they don't pitch it well. They're not exceptionally good defensively. They're one of the worst teams in the Power Five offensively. So how are they doing this? Well, you know, we helped them. We helped them on Thursday. We helped them a lot and really put ourselves at a disadvantage. And fortunately, we were able to crawl out of it despite the fact that we didn't get great ball games out of Rowdy Jordan and Tanner Allen. But I wasn't happy. Like all of you, I'm sitting here looking through this thing and I'm thinking, you know what, this is going to be, you know, this is going to be, this is going to derail everything we're looking for. As we have talked through the infancy of the season, you know, we have a legitimate chance to win the Southeastern Conference Championship. If we do, we could potentially be the number one seed in the NCAA tournament. That's how important that is. And, of course, the tournament's what matters most. But, you know, along the way, we could get some SEC hardware. And, of course, uh, you know, with the SEC being the number one RPI baseball conference and the fact that uh, there's a lot of teams in there in contention. If we end up being the best team in the best conference, well, we got a good chance to be number one seed, which we would have, uh, you know, a little bit easier path to Omaha. But listen, there is no easy road once you get there. I mean, that's just the reality of life. There are no bad teams in Omaha. So let's break this thing down. The first thing I'll say, Christian McLeod didn't get much help early on, and then he didn't help himself a lot after that. And again, maybe some of that's got to do with Scott Foxhall not being out there. But uh, we, you know, we got off going pretty good here. Very first pitch of the ball game, it was kind of a loud out, but Vireling flies out. We go right behind that. Two pitches later, we get a fly out to center. So three pitches in, and there's already been two outs. Then we get behind a hitter, give up a single to left. I'm thinking, ah, we're okay here. We're good. We're good. And then Montgomery hits an absolute rocket right at lane Forsyth, and then we can't come up with it. We can't come up with it, and it's like, okay, here we go. You know, we got a couple fly outs. We give up a single. We roll a ground ball, but yet we're still pitching. And then we get a wild pitch, and, you know, we got – it's just insane to think about all this stuff. You know, because we, we have a guy reach on the error, obviously. Now you got two runners on. Now there are two runners in scoring position. And then Swanger hits one out in front of the play. This had a ton of English on it, and LT just couldn't come up with it. Just couldn't happen. So now the bases are loaded. And only one ball's left the infield. And we hadn't walked anybody. We hadn't hit anybody. You know, we're out here basically rolling ground balls, and we can't get our guy out of the inning. He finds a way, even though it's a, it's a lengthy at bat, on a full count, he gets a punch out looking. And this is how this thing goes. Strike, called, ball, foul. So we're one, two, and then we work it full, ball, ball. We don't give in, three straight fouls, and then, um, you know, we get out of the deal. 
And so even with that, I mean, we're up around 30 pitches right out of the gate. So we knew that Christian wasn't going to be around for long. And, again, you, we forget sometimes, you know, he pitched last Friday. So he's going on one day less rest. And he went the deepest he's gone in the ballgame all year last weekend. So maybe all those factors kind of come together. But the bottom line is he was not sharp. Probably could have had some help, though, uh, defensively there. You know, Lane makes a play there. I'm not, I'm not going to throw shade at the kid. He's, he's playing before he was probably expecting to play and playing a lot of innings. And I think defensively he's going to be one of the best shortstops in the country when it's all said and done. But uh, there are times that, uh, you know, we, don't, we play like a freshman. We do. So here we go in the bottom of the first. And uh, this is where I thought, okay, we're going to go ahead and, and, and uh, get these boys handled. Rowdy comes up, gets a single. You know, again, 2-2 count. Just kind of stays through it, knocks it back through the middle. Allen then doubles to left center. And you're thinking, we got runners at second, third, nobody out. We're going to go ahead and get off, get our legs out from under us and get going. Cam James grounds one to the right side, drives in a run, gets the RBI. Then Luke Hancock singles to right, drives in the other. It's a tenth-and ball game. Still got runners on, and we ground out, and we get a K swinging there. And it was still pretty good at bat from Scotty DeBrule there. He actually had a pretty good ball game for us, went two for four. Now actually hitting uh, 284, two points off his season high. And that was way, way back when we played, I guess, Grambling State. So we get into the second, and uh, even even now, it's like, you know, we're, we're getting behind hitters, and it just felt like, you know, things were just not right. We get behind 2 nothing a day, and he grounds out. Then we walk Peterson on four pitches. And then we have, um, you know, we got we, – they steal. We throw the ball away. I didn't think Logan had a great night. Uh, Wilmus Meyer singles to left. And then the run scores, it's a 2-1 ball game. And then we get the, you know, we, we pick a guy off and we're able to get out of it with a fly out. But, uh, again, it's self-inflicted wounds here. We're getting behind hitters, become predictable, and then we don't play good defense. And, uh, you know, some of that too, I mean, you know, listen, I like all the highlight quality throws too, but sometimes you just got to make the right play. And uh, I, I thought we didn't there. Bottom of second, we don't get anything going. We do get uh, Lane Forsyth had an infield hit there. And uh, I think initially it was ruled an error. I thought it was kind of a tough error because it was a sinking line drive. It just kind of ate the shortstop up on the short hop. But he is credited with a single in the end. But, uh, you know, we didn't do much. It's a 2-1 ball game. Things really kind of settled for, for them at this point. They open up the third with a single to right. And then they single off of Christian. And this is kind of indicative of how his night went. He gets a line drive right at him, gets his glove on it, just can't secure the catch, and then there's no play to be made. We we try to get the runner at second, but there was just nothing there. And so they got the lead and two runners on there, and then we get a fly out. They move the runner from first to third, and then we get a chance to get out of the deal. Swanger goes to bunt, and this is one of those things that doesn't show in the box score. Christian McLeod, do what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to throw a strike here. You're not supposed to get cute when they're bunting. This stuff drives me absolutely bananas. It's like we overthink it. When you got a guy that's showing bunt early, what do you know what you do? You throw a ball up in the zone. You throw a fastball and you let him bunt it. And he might bunt it right back at you, which is exactly what happened. He pops the bunt up and then Christian gets it. And you're thinking, okay, as bad as this inning is gone, we got a chance to get out of here. Uh, but we don't. The, we have a play here where it's the first and third thing, and it's kind of the U-triple-S-A play where runners are first and third. They send a runner from second. We throw down. The, the, the throw is not there. And then we, we 
the run from third scores. And now it's a 2-2 ball game. But wait, there's more. Then we walk a guy, and then we give up a single, and another run scores. And I really thought they would send the other runner. They may, they may have regret that in hindsight. But it's now a 3-2 ball game. And, again, you go back and look at all this stuff, it's just, you know, it, it's insanity. You give up a couple of hits, and then you, you, you get back-to-back outs, and you're one pitch away from getting out of this. We throw a ball in the center field. We walk a guy, leave a ball up. And now instead of us being in the dugout with a 2-1 lead, we're down a run. These are the things that get you beat. Now I understand, well, you know, it's part of baseball. Yeah, it's true. You know, you're going to have physical errors. You can't have mental errors. You can't, and we had a couple. Bottom of third, again, we didn't do anything. Uh, we get a walk, and a two-out walk, and they're able to pitch around that. We bring in Brandon Smith, and I'm a Brandon Smith fan. Um, I don't know how everybody else feels about him, but I was there when Brandon uh, tore his UCL against uh, UL Lafayette, I guess, in that scrimmage here a couple years ago. This kid's got some bulldog in him, man. This kid's tough. So he comes in and gets a couple of Ks to open it. We get a fly out, and maybe the game is beginning to settle for us. We're still not doing anything offensively. I kept looking at the scoreboard thinking, well, we got three hits this late in the ballgame. So bottom of four, DeBrule grounds out on a bunt and uh, just didn't push it far enough past the pitcher, didn't get it far enough up third baseline. And then Clark grounds out, four side Ks looking. And that's one thing I'll say, too. You know, I, don't, I don't ask for any quarter, and I'll offer none. Lane Forsyth takes way too many called third strikes. He absolutely does. Now, I don't know what, what Gotro and, and Lamontis are telling him, but you can go back and look at box scores yourself. This kid takes way too many called third strikes. we got to be more aggressive out there and got to protect the play, got to extend the at-bat. It happens way too often. And, again, I understand he's a freshman, you know, playing right here in the middle of a national championship chase. I, I get it. I understand it. I'm not being you know, overly critical of the kid, but it's one of those things that you know, we see regularly. And if I'm a pitcher nowadays, I'm not even going to waste a pitch. I'm going to go right at him. Okay, so bottom of five, top, excuse me, top of five, uh, they, they get a leadoff double, and then Montgomery grounds out to the shortstop, moves the runner around. I would have taken the runner at third. And I know it's like, well, you won't take a sure out. When you've got a guy crossing your face as you're fielding it, you're probably going to be able to get him. And I don't know if Cam wasn't quite ready for the throw or not. We elected not to go that route and get the lead runner. We throw it on the first, and, um, you know, we get the out there. And then we give up a single at the middle, which allowed the fourth run to score. And I'll be honest, at the time, as anemic as we were offensively, them going up two runs felt like five. I mean, it really did. It felt like, you know, we couldn't even get guys on base, and so what are we going to do? Well, fortunately, we got some things figured out. didn't happen for a little while. Uh, bottom of five, Braylon Skinner fouls out on an 0-2 pitch behind third. Uh, one thing I'll say, too, about Braylon Skinner, and I know you guys are thinking, you know, I'm, I'm being real hard on the Bulldogs today. His plate coverage is not good. Now, when I watch him, it's like, it's especially, you know, it's like he is so determined not to get beat in or half. He starts his swing too early, and so he opens up. And then what happens is, you know, they end up throwing a two-seam fastball, and the arm side action kind of carries it away from the hitter, and he couldn't hit it with a garden rake. And so that's something that will improve in time, just like with Forsyth. You know, Forsyth and Skinner both are still figuring this thing out. You know, Braylon Skinner, the truth of the matter is, if he doesn't get hurt early this year, he's probably that much farther along, obviously. But 
these guys just need ABs. They need to be able to get to the Cape and that sort of stuff. And they're going to be better as a result. I'm not ready to give up on anybody. But his play coverage is not good. I mean, there are times you, it, you, I look up there and I, I'll, I'll watch his swing, and it's like almost like sometimes it's a very pronounced step away from the plate, and then the bat doesn't cover the plate. I mean, his bat just doesn't stay in his own very long at times. But he was instrumental in a, in, a, in a bat later that really got things going for us. When Rowdy works a big at bat and gets a walk for us, goes to second on the balk, T.A. flies out to left, and then Cam flies out to center, and the inning's over. Was kind of hoping for a little bit more right there. Top of six, we bring in Preston Johnson. Preston Johnson had the best outing of his Bulldog career. I'm a Preston Johnson fan. Met his parents. Nice people from right down there on Crystal Springs, Mississippi, right there in the middle of God's country. Right? This is a kid that grew up wanting to play at Mississippi State. Said tonight in postgame, he goes, man, I wanted to step up on that mound since I was seven years old. And you know what? I think it's a wonderful thing when young people get a chance to go play for their favorite teams. And one of the things I've noticed, too, is every time before he takes them out, he goes up there and he says a little bit of a prayer. He gets on the hill, and he starts throwing hellfire and brimstone. And he was absolutely outstanding tonight. Absolutely outstanding. So they pinch hit, and uh, Holt strikes out on three pitches. Belk strikes out on three pitches. And then Verling, the leadoff hitter, Gets down 0-2, and then fouls one off. And then we, we had a couple. We just didn't get a call. I thought it was a tight zone for both teams. I think we all would probably agree with that. And then we get a strikeout swinging. So he strikes out the side, two of those guys on three pitches. Phenomenal. Bottom of six, we get a line out to center from Hancock. Then Logan Tanner walks. DeBrule, great at bat here because he actually is down 0-2 in the count. And I even asked him about this some. I've noticed this here as of late. You know, Scotty's trying to work backside a lot. You'll notice he's fouling the ball a lot into the left field screen or left field dugout. And uh, a lot of that's just because of the fact that he's trying to work backside. Well, it worked out pretty well for him in this at bat because even it was an 0-2 count, he takes that ball between third and the third baseman. And there's a diving attempt there. But uh, And listen, I give the left fielder a lot of, a lot of credit for jumping on that thing because they're able to hold Logan Tanner at second rather than letting him go all the way around and have runners on the corners. Because then Kellum Clark hits a ground ball that they forced to brew at second. Well, if that runner's at third, he's going to score there. That's how significant that was. So, it's a good defensive effort, though, by, by Missouri. I mean, you kind of tip of the cap there because of the fact their left fielder really worked hard to get over there and prevent him from taking third. It saved a run when it's all said and done. Then Forsyth grounds out to third. Really close play, too. And one thing I'll say about the kid, he gets down the line. Top of seven, Preston Johnson still out there holding court. Gets a K swinging, walks a guy on four pitches, and we were thinking, okay, he's beginning to fade. Nope. Comes right back, strikes Montgomery out on three pitches, and then strikes out uh, man looking, and it was a phenomenal pitch too. That's one of those things that I love about Preston Johnson. The guy ordinarily hits his spots. He's not just a fireballer. He's a guy that can go up there, can throw a change for a strike, throw a breaking ball for a strike. And, you know, when you can do that, the game changes for you. Bottom of seven, we finally decided, okay, it's closing time, Missouri. We've let you guys lead a couple laps. We're going to cross the finish line alone. Braylon Skinner walked on four pitches, and I didn't think most of those pitches were competitive. And that's not to throw any slide at Braylon, but I, I thought they were. most of those pitches were, were pretty easy takes. And Braylon does a good job laying off of them. That's not always the case, but in this situation, he did a good job got on base. 
Rowdy K swinging on a really nice breaking ball. On an 0-2 pitch, they threw a breaking ball in the dirt, basically bounced up there, came back the very next pitch, threw the same thing, but threw it for a strike, and Rowdy just couldn't get it. And then some drama happens. Very next pitch, T.A. unloads on one, and immediately I said he's under it. He's under it, he's under it, he's under it. But, man, that ball continued to carry, continued to carry, and then Kiefer is up against the fence, and a lot of people are kind of hoping that ball gets out. Well, it doesn't. He robs a home run, and it kind of felt like, man, it's just not going to be our night. So, again, tip of the cap. I mean, these guys have got nothing to play for other than the pride of the game themselves, and uh, Kiefer makes a great play, keeps the lead at 4-2. So it takes a two-out rally. Cam James takes advantage of Mizzou playing big infield. Because on two outs, that's what you call, right? Okay, we're going big infield. You're going to back everybody up and field everything in front of you, take the easy play at first. Well, it wasn't an easy play. He kind of chops it out there, and so they have to hurry. And Cam is pretty fleet of foot. Cam gets down the line there. I think he's going to beat it out anyway, and he was credited with a hit. But they had to hurry, and they kind of rushed the throw, and it gets loose, which allowed Skinner to go to third. Very next pitch is a wild pitch. Skinner scores. It's a 4-3 ball game. And it kind of felt like Mizzou was in trouble. Even though it was a two-out deal, you felt like they were in trouble. They walk Hancock and, and Tanner both on four pitches. Snyder's runners at uh, you know first, second, and third here because Cam James is on base just trying to make something happen. And then DeBrule comes up and has arguably the best at bat of the ball game. Uh, Scotty steps in there and uh, tells Lamonis before he takes the uh, sips into the box, hey, Coach, I'm taking until I get a strike. That's a veteran move. That's one thing that I always kind of scratch my head about is like when you sit here and you watch a guy walk the, the guy at the plate ahead of you if you're on deck – you watch a guy walk on four pitches. Why would you go jump on the first pitch? Why wouldn't you make him throw you a strike? And listen, I'm a firm believer in hunting the fastball early in counts. But when I've got a guy that's struggling to throw strikes, why would I go out there and give him a strike right out of the gate? Just because you know, more times than not, you're going to foul that ball back. And so why not make him throw you a strike? And that's what DeBrew does. He takes ball one, then he gets the strike. He gets an opportunity to take one the other way. Can't quite get it done. And then we work the count here. And then it gets to be 2-2, and they throw a breaking ball that was close enough. I didn't think they'd get a call, but there are a lot of people that would offer it that pitch, and, and if they did hit it, you know, ground it back to uh, the pitcher there. But instead, Scotty lays off of it, lets that breaking ball dip low, and then it kind of stays true. We get a full count there. And so the guy is going to give you a hittable pitch because, you know, you get the bases loaded, time runs at third. He's not going to walk the run in. The runners are in motion on a 3-2 count. And because they are, they weren't able to get the fielder's choice and force the guy at second. They had to kind of hustle and just take the only play they had at first, and the ball was hit back towards the middle, so the second baseman has to kind of scale over there and get it and make uh, an unbalanced throw and just can't get there. Well, Luke Hancock never slows down. He comes all the way around from second to score on an infield hit which makes it a 5-4 ball game. And at this point, like all of you, I was thinking, uh, do we bring Preston Johnson back out for one more or do we go ahead and go with Sims? Well, there was no decision to make for Chris Lamonis. He went ahead and made the call, brings in Landon Sims. And it's filthy, man. I mean, it's just, you know, he's such a bad man. I mean, you watch this stuff 
over and over and over again. And it's almost like you forget how dominant he can be. He comes out there and it, you, know, you just really felt like that Missouri had no chance. You get, you know, you get a case winging, a case winging, and a case winging. And then we're off to the ninth, right? Because bottom of eight, we don't do anything. We go one, two, three in the eighth. Come back out for the ninth. Belk flies out to left. Off the bat, it kind of felt a little bit uncomfortable. Fell in there. Then we get a K, and then we get a fly out to center. The ball game's over. It's 5-4. Mississippi State has won the ball game without playing well at all. We weren't good. Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y dot com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. you got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You get keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You get fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. You got that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out, so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient, it's safe, it's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comforts. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tecovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots 
as well as free returns and exchanges ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. But offensively, until we got into the bullpen and we kind of were gifted some base runners because of their inability to throw strikes, we didn't play exceptionally well defensively. Logan Tanner had a couple plays that I uh, wish he'd like to have back. Uh, Lane Forsyth had one. You know, we just we didn't play clean. I think we had three errors in the ball game when it's all said and done. Let me check the box score. Hey, what if I had a machine that would tell me this stuff, right? So, yeah, we actually ruled two errors, and uh, I don't know that I agree with that, but it is what it is. So, Preston Johnson gets the win. Landon Sims gets his seventh save of the year. It's just one of those things you look at and you begin to ask yourself, is this one of those teams that just can find a way no matter what the circumstances are? I think there's a real special quality with this group when it comes to that. It's like, you know what, let's just keep grinding here. Let's just keep running up pitch counts. Good things are going to happen for us. There's no point in us getting stressed. There's no point in us getting down on ourselves. Yeah, we made some mistakes. We didn't pitch it exceptionally well to start. We didn't get that quality start. And maybe there's a lot of reasons for that. Who knows? We'll be at Tuscaloosa next weekend, and we'll expect a better start because Christian McLeod's been pretty good on the road. But we got to get out there and make some things happen. And so – when you look at this whole thing in its totality and say, you know what, we made all these errors, we didn't swing the bats, but we finally got the game into the bullpen and they were able to kind of slow the game down until our bats woke up just enough. We were able to take advantage of some mistakes and some base runners that were gifted to us, and we won the ball game. And some would say, well, we didn't deserve to win. I disagree. You know, the team that scores the most runs wins the game. They deserve to win the game. It's not a matter of opinion. It's a matter of math. The team that has the most people touch home plate win the game. People say, well, you know, they walk these guys. That's part of the game. Just like those errors we made are part of the game. You know, we gifted them some things too. It's part of the game. And I love the folks. I love Joe Message Board guy that, you know, five minutes into a ball game, we got to go ahead and declare the season a failure. Well, that's it. We're not going to Omaha. Okay. We can't have a bad night every once in a while. Guys, we're the number three RPI team. We dropped a little bit after this win tonight because Missouri's RPI is so bad. We dropped number three, number three rated team in America, number two in some polls. We're not entitled to have a bad night. It's, it's not church league softball. It's not high school baseball. Well, we, you know, I, I know in my day, we 10-run ruled everybody. It's, well, your day's over with. It's not how it works anymore. I know Missouri's record is abysmal, but those are SEC players over there. And a lot of those guys are playing for a professional baseball opportunity. They're not going to dog it. They're not going to quit because they're out of the playoffs. They're not playing for next year. They're playing for right now. And so, you know what? They're not going to be in Hoover. But you know what? If you go back and look at their numbers, and let's do that before we move on. Let's just kind of look at the last few Fridays for the Missouri Tigers. Because, listen, their record's abysmal, right? So, game one, they lose last weekend, Tennessee 5-4. A game they led in the eighth inning. So, Alabama, they lose that ball game 11-8. 
another ball game in which they led. You go back to Georgia, Friday night, they win that game 6-4 in Como. The week before, they lose to Florida 8-5 down in Gainesville. Again, a competitive ball game. The weekend before, they go to Columbia, South Carolina, and they beat the Gamecocks 7-2 on Friday, game one. And they, you know, they get blasted in that Thursday game against A&M and bounce back and win the series. And so I, I say that to say this is a team that has come out ready to go, and, and that's one of the things that I'll say. Coaching-wise, they probably have picked up on some tendencies, and maybe they're able to kind of go do that on Friday in game one and just doesn't have the horses to pull it out the rest of the weekend. But if you look at last weekend, you know, they, they, they were so close in that first ball game against Tennessee and they got blown out in the other two. That's what I expect to happen the rest of the weekend, to be honest with you. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it'll surprise me. But, you know, this is, this is a Missouri team last year. Last week they got up 3-0 on Tennessee. Then it was 3-2. And then it was uh, 3-3 and then 4-3. And then they're trying to close this thing out. Tennessee scores two runs in the eighth inning to win the game. Tennessee also expected to be a top-eight national seed. And so if if we're going to be critical of Mississippi State, let's be critical of Tennessee too. Because they won a game in a similar fashion with the exact same score in game one last weekend. Is that fair enough? I mean, let, let, let's make sure that we spread our disdain around there evenly. You know, I can't believe we're losing to Missouri. You know what? Tennessee fans are saying the same thing. And then they came back and bounced back and absolutely blew them out the, last, the next two ball games. This is a wake-up call for us in many respects. We are a great team. But nobody is going to bow down to us because they show up and we got a number next to our name. We got the M over S over on our hats. It's just not how it works. Not in college. Nobody's intimidated by that. So we got to be ready to go, and we will be. And I think Will Bednar, that's the thing I love about him being on Saturday. It's like if we can find a way to piece it together on Friday and win that game, I feel confident that Bednar is going to get us a series victory on Saturday. That's just how I feel. And then, you know, we'll see what happens on Sunday. You know, and that's been kind of give or take for us. But, you know, I'm, I'm excited about getting back at the ballpark tomorrow. It's another night game, obviously. It's Friday night. Hope you guys can make it out. But this is not a good Missouri team. But it's also a team that hadn't quit on their coach yet. They just don't have much pitching. They threw their best guy tonight. You know, we're going to see some, we're going to see some arms this weekend. They're going to be really challenged. Really, really challenged. And my hope is, is we can kind of capitalize on what's in front of us. You know, and I, I don't subscribe to all this, oh, it's the most Mississippi State thing ever. Uh because I expect Mississippi State baseball to win. I don't know how you feel, but I expect Mississippi State baseball to win. And I still believe we're very close to our first national championship. Maybe I'm delusional, but that's how I feel. So it's not the most Mississippi State thing ever when we struggle to beat a team on a Friday night. It's difficult to win game one in the SEC. No matter who you're playing, everybody's got at least one good pitcher. And I thought the kid from Mizzou tonight was, was pretty strong. I think we can – I mean, if we're, all, if we're fair with ourselves, you know, let's go back and just kind of look at these numbers here real quick, you know, before we move on. Because I know you guys are excited about top ten lists. But, um, 
you know, you go back and you look at the box score here. I mean, <laughs> so Jacob Cush comes out and gives them five innings, four hit baseball, two runs. He goes 90 pitches. He got elevated there in the first or he'd have been able to go a little bit longer. We got to Lucas Weinberg's, and uh, he's one for four. And, of course, he had the big tirade in the dugout afterwards. Gives up uh, three runs on three hits, walks four, strikes out just one. Through 47 pitches in just one and two-thirds of an inning. So, you know, I, I'm eager to see what we do the rest of the weekend. But, I, you know, they threw their guy tonight. He performed. And uh, we got in the bullpen, and we were able to get by him. You know, and Christian goes three innings, allows six hits and two earned runs, and walks two and strikes out one. It wasn't a great night for him. But, you know, Christian McLeod is a fly ball guy. That's what he's going to be. He's not like Kendall Graveman, not going to be that ground ball guy. This guy's going to give up fly balls. That's just kind of how life works with him because he doesn't have a plus fastball. And then when he can't land that breaking ball for a strike, he has to kind of challenge it with a fastball. So we just got to hope that he can get under a bat angle a little bit and, you know, prevent them from launching the thing out of the ballpark. I'm also a Christian McLeod fan, but I also understand he has not had the year I expected him to have. And last weekend I thought maybe he turned the corner. He didn't do it. And, again, again, there's a lot of factors involved. Maybe one day's rest makes a difference. Maybe not having a pitching coach makes a difference. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to make excuses for him. We expect more than three innings, especially when we're in the middle of trying to chase an SEC championship, right? Everybody's got to toughen up a little bit here down the stretch. And so we'll see, uh, we'll see what Will Bednar has for us on uh, Friday. He's also throwing on one day less rest, but I think he's going to be uh, – He'll be juiced up and ready to go, there's no doubt. And a reminder, too, I think I mentioned earlier in the show, they're going to announce the 20 around noon Eastern on Friday, so 11 Central. Mississippi State's going to be in that mix. and You, know, there's, it, you can kind of pick out the first dozen or so pretty easily. I do think Ole Miss will be in the 20. I think they deserve to be. Will they host? I don't know about that. I think a lot of it's going to hinge on what happens this weekend with Vanderbilt. Because even though I think Vanderbilt's very vulnerable, I mean, the math is the math. You know, their team is ranked very high. Their RPI is very high. And so that would be a nice resume booster for Ole Miss, regardless of what everybody's, uh, you know, disabled list looks like. That would be a big series win for Ole Miss, who desperately needs it. If I'm not mistaken, they've lost five of the last six SEC weekends. They have the real possibility of being three and seven for SEC weekends when it's all said and done. They also could be 5-5. Five and five. Southern Miss, I expect them to be in the 20. I don't think they let all three of us host, but I could see Southern Miss stealing Ole Miss's hosting bid if they continue to win. There's a lot of people out there on the backside of that, you know, the, the paradigm here. You know, Florida State is a team that uh, is just kind of above average. They're a good team, not an elite team. There's the University of Charlotte that's been outstanding this year. Got a great RPI. There's Louisiana Tech. Lane Burroughs done a great job there. But, I mean, is there any way they give three CUSA hosting sites? I would say no. Could be two, though. I think Southern Miss is in a great position to get that spot. And if not, they're going to be a strong number two, which means they'll go to one of the weaker number ones. It's traditionally how it works. Yeah, but we'll see how it goes. But that, that list will come out. And then there'll be a lot of people that are upset. And there'll be a lot of other people, too, So yeah, this is what I expected. So 20 
approved regional sites will be announced. And then from there, we'll move forward and kind of pare that down to 16 once we get into conference championship weekend. That's how we've done it in the past, right? They've announced the hosting sites. Sometimes they ho- they announce the top eight national seeds. I don't know if it's going to happen until the, the, the field is seeded. I don't know, but I think they'll do the regional sites for sure. But we'll all find out together. All right, let's move along here. Today's top ten list brought to you by johnnypacker.com. Johnnypacker.com, the best place to go buy your sunglasses. Many of you are looking for some stylish frames that maybe, maybe aren't available in your traditional stores. Go visit them today at johnnypacker.com. You get great quality merchandise at a good price. And we're going to save you a little money, too. Use promo code BONEYARD. Save 10% off those sunglasses. They fit well on your face. They're not those sunglasses that are so small and tiny that you look like, uh, you know, Donkey Kong wearing Diddy Kong's glasses. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, yeah, sometimes glasses just don't sit right on your face. Makes your head look big. That's just not the case with these glasses. And a portion of every pro- of every purchase goes to the Cystic Vibrosis Foundation. John Packer himself has lived with cystic fibrosis throughout his life and is now doing what he can to help others. You can join that cause by simply buying some sunglasses. Simple as that. Buy some sunglasses, and we're going to save you 10% by using promo code BONEYARD. And then in addition to that, a portion of that monies that you pay for those sunglasses going to go to CF. Pretty outstanding stuff. Today's top 10 list, Stone Temple Pilots. I'm a little surprised we hadn't done this one yet. I had a guy reach out to me on Gene's page. Not everybody wants credit, you know, for the top 10 list. They just want to hear me talk about it. Listen, the thing that I've always loved about STP is I'm a rocker, and I like that driving guitar sound. And uh, my first exposure to them was this hard-driving song that actually is number four on the list. And I thought, these guys are different, man. There's a lot of people out here in this grunge scene, uh, you know, that everybody feels sorry for themselves. They're staring at their shoes and just waiting for somebody to come by and pick them up and take them to Starbucks. And But STP, man, they, there was some irreverence, especially in that core album, man. They were, they were one of those bands that were kind of like, you know what, take up, take up uh, you know, whatever you have and follow us, you know. And so Scott Weiland, of course, is a very tortured soul. But I was very sad when Scott Weiland died. I mean, it's just one of those things you hope people are doing well. But I began to see these YouTube videos where, you know, Scott Weiland had put another band together, Scott Weiland and the Wildebeest, and they were out touring. And, and a lot of those videos are very, very sad because Scott's drunk on stage. And, you know, when he joined Velvet Revolver and Slash and Duff McKagan and Matt Sorum and did some things there, you know, there was some hope that, that there would be some chance of sobriety. And he kind of kept it clean for a while, but then that was not to be. And, there are some people that life is simply too hard for. And I think Scott Weiland is one of those people. I think he was a person that was constitutionally incapable of being honest with himself. And the disease of alcoholism finally took his life. And it's unfortunate. You know, he leaves behind, uh, you know, a family and some children. And I remember how awful it was, you know, reading Scott Weiland's, uh, the mother of his children's letter about Scott. And about how much that they would miss him, but um, you know how he had been mostly been absent in their lives, and that there had been a lot of disappointments all because of alcoholism. That uh, you know missing birthdays and uh, missing visitation and things like that. There's just a lot that goes along with that, and 
it's not just the addict or the alcoholic that suffers. It's everybody that loves them. And so, Scott, wherever you are in the ethos, man, I hope you're, uh, I hope you're good. And so, this is my top ten list of Stone Temple Pilots. There are a couple songs that did not make the list, but I wanted to kind of give a hat tip to them. Sour Girl was one that kind of had to grow on me a little bit. It's it's a little bit artsy for me. Uh, but Sour Girl didn't make the top ten, but I want to give it an honorable mention. And then the song Out of Time, which is an EP that Stone Temple Pilots recorded with Chester Bennington of Lincoln Park. Chester was the lead singer of SCP for a little while. And so... That's a good little album. You can go check it out if you like Chester and maybe you're unfamiliar with that. I think it's a five-song EP. It's actually pretty cool. Okay, so here's my top ten STP songs. Number ten is Big Bang Baby. And it, this is one of those ones, too, that the tone of the guitar is so different than anything else in the catalog. And I think Scott's vocals, I think because of the fact that Scott is just one of those kind of people that just kind of understood how to add nuance to songs and things like that. There was just so much character to this song. I think Scott did a great job on it. Number nine is, and I've seen them perform this live. I saw STP with a new singer at Rocklahoma a couple years ago. Thanks, Mark. Um, but the song Meadow, and I really dig it. I love the guitar on this one, but I think that they have gone out and found a, a decent replacement for Scott Wyland, and I think that the music is actually being performed at a high level I, I was very impressed with his ability to kind of maintain uh, the vocal range that Scott Weiland had and, and of course there's not the same character because he didn't write those songs but I wanted to get that in there because I think it's important that people understand there has been life after Scott when it comes to Stone Temple Pilots number eight another one of these songs that that is a true banger it's Wicked Garden this is one again one of those songs too that uh, a lot of the, the hits for STP were kind of ballads or slower songs, things that weren't quite up-tempo. This is one that's certainly up-tempo. Number seven, and I know some people will say, Steve, this should be higher on your list. And you know what? That's okay. I love this song, but there are so many songs between now and number one that at some point have been my favorite Stone Temple Pilots song. So it's difficult for me to decide. And if you ask me next month, I might feel differently about this list. But number seven for me is Big Empty. And I know for many of you, that's your favorite STP song. So it's on my list, but it's not in my top five. Number six is a song that I absolutely love. And uh, it took me a long time to kind of figure out what this whole thing was about. And I think that's the beauty in art is that uh, it kind of evolves over time. But it's tripping on a hole in a paper heart. I think Scott is great on this song. I think he is absolutely phenomenal and I thought they had begun to kind of recapture the magic just a little bit with this track. Number five, going back to the first album, it's dead and bloated. And it's so loud and rude and in your face that it's a perfect opening song for an album. What's, in, what's so great about it, too, is how great the percussion is. It's like once, once they kick it in and get going, you kind of ride that wave. Number four, my first ever experience with Stone Temple Pilots came on MTV in the early 90s. 
and it is a song that sounded a whole lot like Alice in Chains, and there was a part of me I thought they were kind of ripping off Alice in Chains, but it's sex type thing, and it's unlike anything else in the catalog. In some ways, I kind of felt that it was a little bit false advertising, you know, because like there's this hard charging song, and man, those riffs are just killer. And you feel like it, you're getting punched in the face. It's like, man, this song is just so heavy and so strong. And then everything after that was, you know, kind of dialed back and kind of tuned down. It's a little different. But sex type thing, I thought, really came out and was a great opening track for them, even though it is pretty unique to the rest of the catalog. Number three, and I think once we get into the top three, I think it's just a matter of what we, you know, we could probably all agree these are probably the top three songs. We just got to argue over what order they go in. So here's my, my offer to you. Number three is Creep. Love this song. I think at some point we've all felt like this. Creep is great. Creep is sad. But at the same time, too, it's Creep is beautiful. Number two is Plush. And uh, there's some lyrics in here that are a little bit silly and uh, kind of Nirvana-ish in many ways. It's almost like we kind of take some phrases and kind of throw them against the wall, make this big musical fruit salad out of them, and say, here's a hit song. Well, it worked on Plush. And um, again, musically, this is one of their better songs. And everybody's heard this, even if you don't remember the name, you've heard the song. But number one for me, and to me, there's no question, this is the number one Stone Temple Pilot song. Robbie Falk would agree with me. We've talked about this before. The number one STP song. It's without a doubt, Interstate Love Song. I love the feel of this. I love the vibe of the song. And I love that whole part of uh, leaving on a southern trail. There have been many times that I'll be getting ready to travel home and I put this song on. And I know that's cheesy and corny and whatever, but it's just one of those things that I do. Because I'm ready to get home. I love being on the road, but I'm also like to be able to come home and sleep in my own bed and get up in the morning and not have anywhere to be. You know? So... Interstate Love Song, to me, is just that one of the best songs of the decade, uh, of the 90s. I just absolutely love the track. I think you will, too. So that's my top 10 STP songs. Maybe you disagree. Let me know if you do. If you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out let me know. I've had a bunch here this week. I've probably had more this week than I've had in the last couple of weeks, and we're going to get to them. We'll try to get to them next week. And a lot of people said, hey, can you get mine for Friday? Well, you know, listen, I've got some other promises out there. But, uh, you know, sometimes people will send one to me, and it kind of I get excited about it. I said, this will be a fun one. This was one of them. And uh, one of the things that I'll share with you guys, too, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but the C, my version, my copy of Stone Temple Pilots' first album, Core, was uh, was bought at Sound Shop by my friend Scott Sorensen, who was an artist in Jackson. And, uh, you know, I knew Scotty long before he was doing anything. You know, he was going to school at Southern Miss and uh, sleeping on my floor when they would close the dorms. But uh, I love Scotty. And I had a chance to reconnect with him uh, later in life, obviously, as, uh, you know, we both began to find some level of success. And it was very rewarding to be his friend. And uh, I would go by Snicky Bean sometimes and find her, and I wouldn't tell him I'd go pay his tab just because I didn't, I didn't want them to cut him off. They always promised me they wouldn't, but I, did, I never wanted them to be short of money, and I didn't want him to ever think that he couldn't go in there. But, um, but so my buddy Jim, and uh, Jim was my roommate, Jim Winter, and uh, we called him Thermos. 
But we would go on payday, we would go to the record store and we would buy a new CD. He would get one, I would get one. Like he would get, you know, Ned's Atomic Dust Bin or Toad the Wet Sprocket and people like that. And, you know, I was getting other stuff. You know, I was getting Rage Against the Machine. I was getting Tool, people like that. And so we would go. And so one day, Scotty wanted to go with us. And Scotty didn't even have a CD player, but he just wanted to join in on the fun. And so he bought Stone Temple Pilots' core album, and he kept it at my apartment. So whenever he'd come over, he'd say, hey, put my CD on, hear my CD. And uh, I still have it. And it's one of those things, too, that some days I'll be flipping through my CDs or I'll walk by there, and, and, uh, and I'll see it sitting there, and it reminds me of him in a simpler time in life. And so whenever I hear Stone Temple Pilots, it reminds me of my friend Scott Sorensen. And uh, we lost Scotty last year to pancreatic cancer. And of all the friends that I've lost in my life, this one was one of the ones that was the most difficult. And so I dedicate this list today to Scott and his memory. And I thank uh, our friend for suggesting this one. So there you go. That's today's top 10 list. All right, let's time to talk a little more baseball. This segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmark. Campus Bookmark is outstanding. And again, I got to go by there. I'm going to go by there today. When I'm out riding around, I've been so busy, man. I tell you, it's like I've, my sleep schedule's been off. I got to go see Stan the Man and see if I can't salvage some peanuts. He may have already given them away, and that's okay. It's my own fault for not going by there. I don't know if Stan will have any peanuts for you, but Stan and him have tons of Mississippi State merchandise that you can peruse. And many of you are going to be in town this weekend for the baseball series. Let me encourage you to go by there. It's warming up, and we all need some new summer clothes. We need baseball jerseys. We need baseball hats. Some of us probably even need some baseball pants. Not the Tanner Allen kind of pants, but you know what I'm saying. Maybe we need to get some new shorts. So if you can't make it to town, you can visit Campus Bookmart at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal boneyard listener, I'll give you a phrase that pays. That is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders, over 50 bucks. Any order, less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Miss Kathy Browns did a great job merchandising that store. You're going to find a lot of things you like there. Again, that's campusbookmart.net. All right, let's look at the rest of the league. We have a vested interest in a lot of these games. You know, it's not as simple as, okay, we just got to take care of ourselves. Listen, if we want to win the SEC, we've got to get some help somewhere. So let's pull these schedules up, and I'm going to give you an idea of what I expect to happen. Listen, this time of year, anything can happen. So don't hold me to it. But uh, So here is, uh, of course, Mississippi State, the only game in the SEC played on Thursday. And fortunately, we won the ball game. All right, so here are the series that we're all kind of looking forward to. This Arkansas and Tennessee series, absolutely imperative that Mississippi State gets a split there. Arkansas-Tennessee currently tied for first place in the SEC. And so if we get a split and we sweep, then we're going to pick up a game on one of these teams and two on the other. So if they split and we sweep, good chance we're in first place come Sunday with one weekend to go in a very winnable road series on tap. Georgia is at Florida you know, I don't think anybody here really bothers us. Florida, of course, is trying to play their way into a hosting situation. They need to win the series. They need to win it big. 
you know, Florida's gotten hot down the stretch. They're they're going to be tough, man. I mean, they're they're a team that's kind of figuring out. Okay, we're beginning to play at our potential. Let's go get what we feel like is rightfully ours. South Carolina's at Kentucky, and again, this one didn't really affect us. Kentucky needs some wins, so I'm kind of pulling for Kentucky. I'm pulling for Nick Mangione. Even though this year he's been a step back in the right direction, I'd love to see Nick make a tournament. Vanderbilt, of course, is at Ole Miss. And this whole thing with Vanderbilt's pitching rotation is very interesting. I know our initial, they said it was TBA. Now they're saying Leiter's going to go. You know, as wild as it sounds, we really need a split here. And, um, you know, we'd like – and I'll be honest with you, we'd like Ole Miss to take two. I just don't know that they can. You know, I, I think Rocker's going to be so dominant that Ole Miss is going to have a tough time getting him. You know, it's like I, I laugh sometimes when I see people say, oh, Miss has got the best offense. You know, here's the thing. You know what stats matter? Wins. That's what matters. Wins. Oh, we got this great offense. Okay, great. But you can't get anybody out. So it doesn't mean anything if you can't win. So if Vanderbilt will drop a couple, that's really big for Mississippi State. Not just in the SEC race, but in the top eight national seed race. We'd like to see them drop a couple ball games. I don't think they're going to drop Bernie next weekend. You know, they get Kentucky next weekend, and maybe Nick and them can get a game. But, you know, Ole Miss, I think, is capable, especially – okay, let's say Rocker wins on Friday and Doug McKenzie wins on Saturday, and you get into Sunday, it's anybody's game. It absolutely is. Ole Miss is at home. It's going to be a great atmosphere. Anything can happen. And Sunday pitching for Vanderbilt's been so Jack one Hodge, you just never know what things are going to look like. But we definitely need a split there. A&M, of course, is at Auburn. You know, this doesn't affect us. We, we swept both of these teams. But I'm rooting for Butch Thompson. I'm rooting for Butch, and they have had a lot of adversity this year, more so than Texas A&M. You know, they've had a lot of guys that have had some issues this year, and they finally got some guys healthy. And Auburn's a good – that's an offensive ballpark. I think they'll have a chance to do some good things there. I'd like to see Auburn take the series. But, you know, A&M took the series from Ole Miss last weekend. I'm sure they're feeling good. And basically the winner of this series between A&M and Auburn will go to Hoover and the other one possibly eliminated. It's kind of a play-in series for them. And then Alabama's at LSU. Uh, neither one of these really bother me because, you know, again, we're going to play Alabama next weekend. But the winner of this series – is going to put themselves in a much better position to host. The loser of this series is going to have to go to the Hoover looking to win some games. It's that simple. You know, I don't know how motivated I want Alabama to be when we get there. I don't think they're nearly as good as us. But, you know, their backs are going to be against the wall a little bit. And so it may be in our best interest for those guys to win the series this weekend. And perhaps they relax a little bit thinking, okay, we're, we're firmly in the position at Hoover and we've got a chance to go make the tournament. Because if LSU loses this series, I think the chances of them making the tournament short of them winning the SEC tournament are very, very slim. Very, very, very slim. And rightfully so. They haven't played well. You know, that we're basically asking them to sweep, you know, these last you know, five of six games at least and sweep an SEC opponent. They haven't been able to sweep a team all year in the SEC. And then you're going to be playing against some teams that have something left to play for. You know, it's just, you know. You look at it and you begin to think, okay, you know, we talked about this a month ago. It was a different scenario. Alabama had struggled a little bit, 
A&M had really struggled. Now A&M has won a series, and they could win another one. And so by the time LSU gets down there to play those guys, I mean, A&M may feel like, you know what, hey, we've righted the ship a little bit. Then we Think about this. Let's say A&M obviously has taken two out of three from Ole Miss. Let's say they win a series this weekend, and then they win a series against LSU at home. They close out having one three in a row. They get to Hoover. Do you really want to play those guys? They're not going to make the tournament short of winning the SEC tournament. But, uh, yeah, they're getting hot late, and they could ruin somebody's season. They could really change things in, the, in Hoover once we get out there. I mean, they really can. We did a great job against them. We pitched it really well. Give Scott Fox a lot of credit for putting a great game plan together. But I don't think you can sleep on A&M if they win these last few series. And they're certainly capable of doing that. They're, they're playing two teams that have really struggled this year in the West, kind of like them. So it's kind of an, an even playing field. But that's what's so crazy, too. This race for the 14th, excuse me, 12th spot in Hoover is pretty highly contested, too. And so there's a lot of people out there with a vested interest in what happens this weekend. And so, you know, again, let's take a quick look at the standings before we move on, talk a little football recruiting, look at the SEC standings. You know, we know kind of how it, it, it affects us right now. We just simply have to win and let the traffic clear in front of us and hope nobody else sweeps. Uh, Tennessee – and Arkansas, 17-7 and seven in the league. Mississippi State now 17-8. and eight. Vanderbilt, 16-7. and seven. And then Florida, 15-9. And, and so those are, those are the teams that are really still kind of in contention. You know, Florida, of course, two games out of first place. That's going to be difficult to make up with six. Outside of that, there's nobody really that's going to be able to win the league. Uh, Carolina, 12-12. Ole Miss, 14-10. Ole Miss got a good chance to finish maybe 16 and 14. I mean, they really do. Could be 15 and 15, too. I mean, you just never know what to expect from Vandy or Georgia, and, and Georgia just lost another pitcher to injury. Uh, so, but again, Scott Strickland's team's always pitching pretty well, and Ole Miss has been so bad on the road. Uh, Kentucky 11 and 13, Alabama 11 and 12, and of course, they're short a game because the Vandy series got shortened last weekend. Georgia also 11 and 13. Uh, and then we get down to LSU 9 and 15. They probably feel like they're safe in Hoover. They get swept this weekend. It might be a completely different scenario. They may be playing for their tournament lives next weekend. AM 7 and 17, Auburn 6 and 18, and in Missouri at the bottom of the pack 5 and 20. And so that's where the standings look like today. And you kind of know your rooting interest. And basically, it's as simple as this. Is you'd love for Vanderbilt to lose a couple ball games. You'd love for Arkansas to lose a couple ball games. Uh, we don't play Tennessee, but the bottom line is we need everybody else to split, and we need to sweep. It's as simple as that. And if that happens, we're going to be in first place, uh, and maybe first place by ourselves, depending on how things shake out. With one weekend left to play. Time to talk a little recruiting brought to you by Portico. Portico, of course, a great residential development right here in Starkville. Many of you have talked about moving to Starkville, making it a more permanent residence for yourself. I would encourage you to do so. I love living here. Uh, I, I will probably be here for the duration, at least in some way. I mean, may, may end up having a second place somewhere just then, uh, just to kind of get away every once in a while. But um, you know, maybe that's what you're looking for in Starkville. Maybe you're thinking, you know what, Steve, we have a life down here in Jackson. We have a life over in Birmingham. But we'd love to have a place there in Starkville that, when, you know, maybe we can Airbnb that thing out when we're not using it. 
But, you know, when there's ball game weekends, rather than us having to get a hotel and check in and check out, we've got a place to keep our stuff. And, and maybe it's an investment property for you. Portico is a great place. Just over a mile from campus, right on Garrett Road behind the Chrysler Jeep dealership. It's easy to find. You come off 82 on to 12 like you're going towards campus. It's the very first ride. You pass over Old West Point Road, and there you are. There's Portico. Easy to find. You'll be glad you did. You're going to have the walking trail out there. And listen, guys, we uh, Brooks told me, just got a new contract on a house. So there's three left in phase one. So if you're looking to move to Starkville, maybe here in the next couple months, you need to make a call today. You need to find out what your options are with Portico. And then here in about six weeks, uh, they'll get those other roads done and kind of begin knocking out phase two. It's going to be 51 houses in this development. So it's going to be a sizable development, but we're not going to have people on top of each other. Brooks can answer all your questions. Brooks, of course, a guy that loves Mississippi State, loves Stark, always invested in our community. He's invested in you. Happy to talk to you. Give him a call today, 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. You may, may remember Brooks Bryan made a pretty big catch to send the Diamond Dogs to Omaha. I'll, I'll never forget that. Never a million years. Brooks is my dad's favorite player on that team. He said, my man Brooks Bryan robbed a home run. My dad was here to see it. So, Brooks, thanks for that. That was a great memory for my dad. So, let's talk a little bit about recruiting before we get out of here. So, we've talked some about Badarius Knighton, and, and he named Mississippi State as a leader – as his leader a week ago. Well, some things have changed since then. Auburn has extended an offer, and it looks like things are a little different now. A lot of discussion that he may announce his decision on Friday. Now, leading into the week, it was kind of undetermined when he was going to announce. And now all of a sudden he's got the Auburn offer, and now he's ready to make the call. So some people are thinking, you know what, this is no good. Now, earlier in the week, talking to some people very close to the family said listen man they're gonna let him make his own decision but they would love for him to be here kind of repping the home state being closer to home makes it easier on everybody and listen he had a nice contingent of people that made the trip up there uh, to watch him play when he was at SEMO so it's not like this is the guy that uh, you know his family hasn't been involved but I was I was told they're gonna let him make his own decision and not and, and rightfully so but that he was a guy that uh, you know the family would love for him to be closer to home so if we don't get him, it's going to be another one of those deals where it's like, man, what is the, the portal is being so incredibly unkind to us? And then there's always this, this whole concern, too. It's like, you know, why are we having a tough time closing out on these corners? Well, part of it's because of the fact that we've got two starters in Martin Emerson and Emmanuel Forbes. Those guys are, you know, if, if I'm looking at videotape and I say, listen, hey, coach, where am I going to play? Oh, you mean you can't come in here and be out a freshman? Hey, Coach, he was a freshman All-American. Okay, I did my research. And so that's been part of the issue. With a lot of these guys, I know I've talked to them. You know, it's like, hey, listen, I love Mississippi State, but I got I to gotta get some idea of, of how much playing time I'm going to get. I only got one or two years left to play. And especially with these grad transfers, they're thinking, you know, I can't go somewhere and just be a depth guy. You know, I'm trying to get to the league. I'm trying to get out there and get some things on tape. i got to go somewhere I can play. And so that's been a hindrance to Mississippi State's efforts. I'm not making excuses for anybody. I mean, that's just how the cow eats the cabbage. 
And so then there's the whole aspect, too, of, you know, what do you do with the two blue shirt kids that are out there right now? There's Travian Hargrove, of course, and William Hardrick. Both of those guys at this point have agreed to wait and sign when fall camp begins. They're going to report with the newcomers on May 27th. And if they sign during the summer, they count towards 2021. If they sign in fall camp, they could sign the day after fall camp begins and count towards 2022. So there's some numbers you can move around. It's like people always wonder how Alabama does it. That's a big part of it right there. They can move guys forward. And everybody's so happy to go to Alabama, they're willing to do that. Well, these guys were happy to come to Mississippi State. And so you know the, the risk you run there, and again, I think Katravian Hargrove is a great get. I think you got to take a chance on a guy like him. But, you know, there's always going to be guys that you want in the next class, always. And you're going to wish you had spots for them. But as it stands right now, you know, State has 11 verbal commitments for 2022, and then you add the blue shirts in, that's 13. So you only got a dozen spots left to fill. Well, you got three of those have to go to offensive linemen. Another one's got to go to receiver. All of a sudden, we're down to eight. Not expected to take a running back in this class because you got Hargrove, right? Well, we get on the other side of the ball. We got to take a full defensive line. That's four. Looking to take one or two more linebackers. Well, all of a sudden, that takes you down to at least three, maybe two. And then you got to, you're going to take Trent Singleton. All of a sudden, you're down to one. What am I going to do? You know, so it's like the numbers are already kind of allocated for. You start running these numbers down for defense, and it's like, you, okay, you. You've already gotten, you know, four of your guys on offense. You know, you're going to take another receiver and you're going to take three offensive linemen. So you've got eight more to use on on uh, on defense. And you got to sign a full defensive line. You start thinking, okay, well, well Trent Singleton's coming. Well, that takes a spot. We, we, we hope Stone Blanton's coming. Well, that takes a spot. And so then you start running through the numbers here and you realize there's already a numbers crunch. Already. And it's just May 14th. Those are the things that you look at and you begin to kind of ask yourself, wait a minute now, how did we get to this point? We've got off to a good start. We've got to get off to a good finish now. And so those are the things that I think it's important to kind of remember is we get into these summer camps, there are going to be new guys that emerge, there are going to be other new names you're going to be excited about. And listen, you know, there's some, some new in-state guys that are beginning to garner some offers too. They could end up on the Mississippi State recruiting radar as well. So only about a dozen spots left to work with. And, you know, then you can kind of question the wisdom and the, the blue shirting if you want to. I, I still contend to you I think Katravian Hargrove could be a difference maker for Mississippi State. He wasn't 100% last year healthy, and you can see it on his film. But I tell you, when, when he is uh, in good health, he's an outstanding player. I want to thank you guys, too. So many of you have already pre-ordered Blooms of Oleander. That's my newest book. It is available at this point for pre-order through Amazon, booksamegan.com, barnesandnoble.com. Uh, and anywhere you know, reputable books are sold, you can also call your local bookstore and they can order it for you. They can find Blooms of Oleander. It's, uh, it's through Ingram, and then they'll know what to do from there. If you're looking for personalized or signed copies, let me encourage you to contact the fine folks at Book Martin Cafe here in Starkville. Miss Carolyn will take your order. They'll get it all taken care of. And then when the book is released on June 7th, she'll send you your signed copies. And so many of you have contacted me and said, hey, Steve, I'm going to order this on Amazon, and then when I see you, I'll have you sign it. Well, there's no guarantee because I'm only going to do a handful. I'm going to do about 10 signings a summer. And so if it's important to you to have a signed personalized copy, the best thing to do is to kind of take care of that through Book Martin Cafe. 
Uh, another thing too, I'll share with you too. It's like if like if I'm signing at Campus Bookmart, you know, I, I'm always happy to sign. But a lot of times people will come up and they'll have a book they bought on Amazon or whatever, and it's kind of disrespectful, you know, to the vendor. You know, it's like they're they're having me there to get people to come through their door to buy their their products. And so if you bring some outside products in, it's just one of those things. It's yeah, you know, it's just it's kind of frowned upon. And so. I just shared that with you because if you want those signed personalized copies, if you're going to give them as gifts or whatever, you need to order them to Book Martin Cafe. You contact them. You can call them directly, and they'll take care of everything. They'll take your debit card over the phone. They'll go ahead and get your book on order. And uh, she's already ordered you know, a few hundred copies of this book. And so they're going to have supplies for you, but I would encourage you not to wait because for those of you that don't recall, like when we did, when we did Flim Flam, the very first book signing I did was at Book Martin Cafe. We sold about 300 books that day, the first day. So I don't know how things are going to progress for this one. I don't expect the same type of numbers, but there needs to be a little bit of urgency in what we're doing. If you're looking for the other books, you can find them at alphadogsthebook.com. That's D-A-W-G-S. You can find Flim Flam, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dogs right there. And you, you go through the website, and I sign all those books. So just whatever you want, you can put sign instructions on. Father's Day is coming up. Many of you are thinking, hey, what do I get, Dad? You know what? Get him some great reading material. And I believe that's what I provided for you. So you can go take care of that uh, right there. And if you're looking for Stark Villains gear, maybe that's the way you go. Maybe Dad wants a hoodie. Maybe Dad wants a new T-shirt. Go to StarkVillains.com. You can rep the brand of pride. That's going to do it for today. I look forward to being back with you guys on Monday. Hopefully we're talking about taking some more positive steps towards a potential SEC baseball championship. And uh, I would be remiss if I did not mention the Mississippi State softball team and the great run they had in the SEC tournament. Uh, that ended today with a loss to Florida, the number four team in the country, and your, uh, your SEC regular season champion. But we expect to get in a regional somewhere, and I don't know that I'd want to play us, to be honest with you. It's like – you know, we've never won a regional in softball, and I began to kind of think to myself, you know what, maybe this is the year. But I know Samantha Ricketts and uh, Josh and Tyler did a great job kind of getting these ladies uh, to buy into what they had going on, and they were great down the stretch. And so uh, maybe some good things are about to happen for women's softball. That would be absolutely wonderful. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. 
Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. DLM's Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.